Hello, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, filling in for Sarah Gross here on the Women's Performance Podcast, and I am so psyched that you're with me today. I am also so excited about today's guest, my good friend, Sonia Looney. You may know her from her amazing podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, uh, but she's also a professional mountain biker. She has online mental performance courses, and most recently, she's become a health coach. So today, we were talking all about just sort of how her career has come together over the years, how she's managed to keep pivoting, keep innovating, and just kind of keep following what interests her. You know, I really liked she started uh, in mountain biking, and then from there started writing about it a little bit, and then started working within the industry, actually working for companies before going off on her own as more of a freelancer type, and then from there starting her podcast, and that's kind of turned into this really deep love of coaching and helping people do their best, whether it's in business or in fitness or just in life. Uh, And she's done all of that while also carving out time to have two kids and continue to keep racing. So if there is one woman who I look to for when I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, how can you kind of not necessarily do it all at the same time, but how can you continue living in every part of your identity that you want to be living in. Sonia is just such a shining example of that. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not all roses and sunshine either, which we get into a lot in this discussion. So if you're considering getting into the fitness industry or if you're in the fitness industry and just kind of thinking about maybe your career is feeling a little bit stale, maybe it's time to maybe not necessarily start a whole new career, but just pivot your career a little bit, lean into another aspect of it. This is definitely the episode for you. And before we get into the interview with Sonia, if you've been enjoying the content in the show and you want to go deeper, the Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit is the place for you. So this November, November 11th to 13th in Tempe, Arizona, you'll get three days to focus on practical skills to help you grow your business and accelerate your leadership. You'll hear from folks like Celine Yeager, who we've had on the show talking about if it's time to write a book. Uh, She'll actually be there teaching people how to write effectively. Uh, We'll also have the Feisty Media podcast producer, Carrie Barrett, on how to start your own podcast with all of the practical details, not just the, you know, what do you talk about, but the nitty gritty of how are you editing, how are you uploading, all that fun stuff, and just so much more, so many great speakers, and talk about a great networking opportunity. Definitely check it out. You can find out more at OutspokenSummit.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Sonia Looney. Enjoy. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. 
The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Okay. So Sonia, here we are again. I feel like you are my number one favorite podcast guest. So pretty much every podcast I ever run, I'm going to find a reason to have you on it. So uh, welcome to the business of fitness. Well, that's like the best compliment because you know, lots of rad people. So thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to chat with this audience. I think this is just such a, a cool thing. And you and I have talked for so long about the fact that women in the industry, like there are so few women in the fitness industry and we're, we're growing, like there are more and more of us. Um, but it sometimes can feel very like lonely and like, you're not really sure how to kind of blaze your own path. And I mean, when we're talking about trailblazers in the industry, I immediately think of you because you've been doing this stuff for a really long time, but it's not actually your like background. You could be you know, working as an engineer if you wanted to. So uh, before we get too far down the rabbit hole of, you know, how to become a health coach, give me like your quick bullet point career history. Like, how did you get here? Oh boy. Okay. Keep it in bullet points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll try and keep this as short as possible, but it's been a circuitous route. So as you mentioned, I have my master's degree in electrical engineering and that was what I set out to do in school because I wanted a quote, safe path with a guarantee, like, quote, guaranteed, whatever that means these days, guaranteed job, guaranteed 
you know, I'm going to have job security, a good income, whatever, but that wasn't what I loved to do. And I was just going through the motions and through that process, I found cycling, I found mountain biking and I got into mountain bike racing and, um, I wanted to be a pro mountain biker. So my path started evolving as I was moving along and I thought, well, how can I make this happen in my life? What, what do I need to do? And that's a big, that was a big question back in whatever, 2004, 2005, 2000, whatever, way back when. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so how I did it was I just started racing. I found a team to get on, but the team wasn't providing what I needed. I wasn't providing, um, financial support. It was providing not, uh, not the type of products that I wanted to use. So I ended up getting a job in marketing in the bike industry. Um, so that was a big, first big pivot engineering to marketing. And I did that for five years. And then I did another big pivot to become a full-time professional athlete where I got all my own sponsors. And through this entire process, I was working as a freelance writer and doing public speaking. Um, and then when social media came around doing social media, and then about five years ago, I started a podcast and all of that came from a deep want and desire to help others be better and to help mentor others. Because I wish that I had had that when I first started in the sport and that evolved out past cycling into a more broader, um, a broader realm. And I'm still continuing to grow and evolve from there. Okay. What was it like making that leap from this relatively safe marketing job, we'll say into the kind of terrifying world of professional athlete, like with some of the freelance stuff on the side, but that's a huge like bet on yourself, basically. How did you get the like courage and what was it like the first you know few months of that? Yeah, it, it was hard. Having my husband say that he believed in me was something that was really important because through this entire journey, I had to continue choosing myself. I had the people that were closest to me were putting up barriers saying, you, you, why are you, what are you doing? Like take this known path. You're doing this the hard way. Why are you making your life harder? But really it was harder for me to take the known path than it was to make these big leaps and bounds. But I had to just trust that I could learn and have that growth mindset that I'm going to make this big pivot. I'm going to write proposals. I'm going to learn how to negotiate and it's not going to go perfectly well. And it, I still, I've been doing this since 2014 in this way. So it's been a long time and it's still hard. So it doesn't actually get easier. You just kind of get used to the uncertainty, but having my husband say, I believe in you and you can do this. And then having two at that time, there's two key sponsors that they were defeat and Michael David winery. They came on board as title sponsors and both of them really saying, we really believe in what you're doing. That helped me make that launch and that big leap and having people around me now, as I continue through this journey that believe in me and helping me believe in myself, those are things that have helped me continue, but it's, it's a hard journey. And a lot of us do experience uncertainty. A lot of us do experience imposter syndrome of, well, who am I to say that I'm a, you know, I'm worth X dollars or that I am a speaker or whatever the thing is that you're trying to do, but you have to choose yourself. And that takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And negotiating is another thing that takes a huge <laughs> amount of, of courage there. So um, maybe do you have any like tips for someone who has to negotiate, whether it's for a sponsor, for a job, for, you know, a freelance contract, any of that stuff that you've kind of learned over the last uh, almost 10 years now? Something that I wish I had was somebody that I could reach out to who was already doing what I was doing, but th there just weren't people doing what I was doing back then to say like, hey, can you can I chat with you just about how you're running your business? And can I ask you some questions. The hardest thing is assigning a dollar figure to what you're worth because you kind of are pulling that out of thin air in some cases. So, and, and nobody really knows what anybody else is making. So you have to figure out what your value is. And that is a moving target. And it isn't always an upward trajectory. Sometimes it wobbles and weebles. But I always say the first thing is figure out how much time that you're going to be spending um, doing whatever it is that you're doing for the partnership that you're creating. Decide what that dollar figure is worth to you because it needs to be worth your time too. And partnerships, this is a big thing. I think that, well, hopefully this is part of the mainstream conversation around partnerships, but it's not just about, Hey, you're a brand or you're a company. Just give me stuff. It doesn't work that way. You're providing stuff for them. You're providing a service to them and they're providing financial support or product or whatever it is. They're providing a service or a good to you. And then how can you both win? So deciding and, and, and starting from start, have a starting point. So ask for whatever a thousand dollars or $5,000 or $500, whatever the number is. And if you can get that, ask for more next time and then just keep, keep upping it until someone starts saying no, 
And if a company is interested in working with you, there, chances are, if, if, you, if you're afraid that you're asking for too much, they're not going to just say, no, go away. If they really want to work with you, they might say, well, that's not in our budget, but we can do this. Or you know, what, what can we get for this dollar figure? So it's going to be a moving target. And a lot, of, a lot of people, especially women, are afraid to offend somebody else that they're asking for too much money. And I, I've fallen into that, into that category and I continue to battle against that. But women tend to undersell themselves. So I'll stop rambling and I'll let you <laughs> take the mic. A hundred and ten percent to everything you just said. Um, I also have found that in the fitness industry in particular, because I've now worked in like a couple other industries or like tangential to the fitness industry stuff, fitness industry is terrible for not talking about money like right off the bat. Like if the like if a a business can avoid paying you, I've realized they will avoid paying you. <laughs> they just like won't mention the money thing at all and like if you don't bring it up they're not gonna bring it up and suddenly you're teaching a yoga class for free or you're you know coaching a camp for free or you know riding with this like huge thing on your kit because they gave you like a pack of gels or something so you definitely have to be the one to go first and ask for the money is like the biggest thing I've realized. Yeah. Um when I first started and I still have this written down some like invis invisible places it's have the courage to believe that you're worth it. It takes courage to say I am worth something because whenever you put yourself out there and say I'm worth something, now you're providing a space where someone can tell you, well, actually you're not worth something until you know. And that can be really difficult on confidence and self-worth. So that's why it's so important to surround yourself with people that do believe in you, um, especially in those times where you're struggling to believe in yourself. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. So you've recently pivoted into the health coaching space. So what prompted the going, going back to school for that? Um, and, you know, kind of carving out this whole other niche in your business for that. Yeah, that's actually been a really rewarding experience. So first of all, the thing that prompted me to do that was one of my podcast guests. He, um, has a PhD in neuroscience and he does contemplative, contemplative, it's a hard word to say, contemplative um, research or research in the contemplative space on like the science of meditation. So his name is Dave Vago and he was on my podcast and he, um, he knows how meditation changes your brain. Like it's really interesting, but he had a, he has a PhD, as I mentioned, and he was working and doing research at Vanderbilt university. So he reached out to me and said, Hey, like I've noticed this work that you're doing. And here's this program that you might find really interesting at Vanderbilt university. It's a health coaching program. I was like, weird. I, I, and I was interested in coaching, but I didn't want to just call myself a coach. And I wanted to have the framework and education needed to provide somebody um, not only like a standardized type of experience where I'm doing the same thing every single time with a, a framework that's based on science and psychology, but I just wanted the, the proper training because there's coaching is a wild west out there. There's plenty of great coaches out there who have no training, formal training. So I'm not throwing them under the bus. But for me, I really wanted this framework of how do you coach? And I was surprised to learn that coaching isn't about telling people what to do. It's mostly about active listening, reflections, and asking really important questions to help guide someone down their own path so that they can make their own decisions. And if a coach is telling somebody what to do, a lot of times that can mess up their motivation because the most important thing about motivation is self-determination theory and autonomy, autonomy, relatedness, and um, I'm now I'm blanking on one of them, but if you remember, but autonomy is a very important part of motivation. So that was something I learned in coaching and it's been really cool to be able to offer coaching services. And I also offer mental performance coaching because people ask me, you know, well, how do you do a hundred mile mountain bike race? How do you do a seven day race? How do you do a 24 hour race? Like what are the mental skills needed for this? So I decided to launch an online course because that would allow more people to access that information. But ultimately, it just kept coming down the path of like wanting to help other people find their best self. And health is, is, is such a broad field. There's so many different elements of health. And most people just think about like weight loss or something. But there's like relationships, there's um, self-compassion, there's sleep, there, there there's productivity in your environment. There's just so many different areas. So it's been really cool. I've learned a lot about myself and to be able to help others and people have come to me wanting that wanting coaching. So that has been one of the main reasons that I went after that, um, that education piece, which is it's, it's, a, it's a long program. It's like a graduate level program. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. I remember when you first started it, uh, I ended up looking at it because I was so intrigued by it. And I was immediately like, oh my gosh, this is, this is literally going back to school. This isn't some like three month, like life coaching program or something like that. No shade to them. Um, but this is like a very in-depth, intense program. And I think you actually had to have a science um, bachelor's degree to even get into it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was like serious business. So that's like not just a little commitment. Uh, and you also were finishing that while you were pregnant with your second child. Is that correct? Uh Pregnant with my first child. And then there's a, there's a 70 hour practicum that comes after that, that you have to complete. And there's all this paperwork and all this stuff. So I was doing the practicum piece while I was pregnant with my second kid. And then there's these mentorship calls you have to be a part of. And each of the call, like during the course, I would have my baby with me for some of the video calls, like for the class. And then afterwards for the practicum during these mentorship calls are like, wait, is that another baby? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Different one this time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the going back to school, like the time commitment, the dollar commitment, like how did you, I guess, decide that it was worth it? Because that's a huge decision uh, because it also takes away time from doing the other stuff that actually like makes the money. Yeah. Warren Buffett says the best investment is in yourself. And I truly believe that. And learning is one of my top values and passions in my life. So doing the coaching program, it's not, it's not just about coaching. It's about learning about myself, but it's also made me a better person in my life, a better communicator, a better listener. Um, it's made me a better podcast host because I can formulate better questions and I I've, it, it's paid huge dividends in other areas. So I think that's something important whenever somebody's thinking about making a change or they're afraid to, or nervous about, you know, investing time or money in something is that you're going to get something out of it. It may not even look like the way that you had thought it would look initially, but there's a process there and there's there's something that you're going to learn that's going to be worth it to you in the end. And it takes courage, again, that that thread of courage to make that leap and and to say like, hey, if this isn't working for me, I, I'm not I don't have to do this forever either. There's not a sunk cost where I'm in, I have to do this. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and throughout all of that, you were still putting out your podcast. You were still, you know, training and obviously not racing as much when you were, uh, you know, pregnant and or with tiny people in your life. And global um, pandemic. <laughs> and global pandemic. Yeah, lots of things going on that kind of prevented you from racing. But I know you kept training throughout as much as possible. Uh, so what did a normal day in the life look like while you were in school? And then what does a normal day in the life look like now? Well, I don't think there is any normal day now, which is kind of hard because I like having a routine and that changes a lot with, um, you know, unreliable childcare and like things that come up, but, uh, it's basically figuring out what my priority is. So I I'm not going to go through like hour by hour what a day is, but to so this is useful for people listening, choose what that priority is. I have a lot of different things going on and sometimes some of the other things just can't be a priority. So like for me, the, the things that have to happen consistently become the priority. So like podcasting becomes a priority because that comes out every single week. And that's something that I've built on. Um, training is a, a thing that requires consistency where if you just stop for a couple of weeks, there's big uh, consequences, which I'm now suffering because I've took time off from COVID and had some issues with childcare. Um, but consistency, like what are the things that need to be done consistently? And then make the, how do you make those a priority? How do you make time for those? Um, because a lot of times we'll say, well, I wish I could do X, but then, but then you don't actually spend the, do, spend the time or do the actions doing the thing that you want to do. So look at what you're spending your time doing. Like, are you actually spending time like watching Netflix or are you just wasting time on your phone? And, and there are times where you need to watch Netflix to relax or to spend time on your phone. So it's okay. But it's like being intentional about when you're doing that. Cause when you say you don't have time, it's looking at, well, maybe I do have time. I'm just choosing not to spend it on this thing that I say is important to me. And maybe it's not as important as I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think back to, uh, there's a strength coach in Toronto, coach Clance that says that, uh, everyone who, everyone wants to be a monster until they find out how monsters train. So it's that exact thing. Everyone has like the big goal, but then not everyone wants to actually train to make that happen. Whether, whether we're talking about actual, like fitness goal or, you know, work goal or yeah, writing a book, creating a course, starting a podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, turns out it's not all, not all glamorous. Actually, it's very like 1% glamorous, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so 
as we were as we were talking about that, I'm trying to think through what are some of your like absolute non-negotiables when when you do say have like reasonable childcare and don't have COVID. What are some of the the daily ne- non-negotiable wellness slash business practices? Well, first, it's about starting your your foundation. And I posted on Twitter about this yesterday because it was one of those days where I was supposed to have childcare, didn't work, and I had a figure out what was my priority. So taking care of yourself and figuring out what those things are for your foundation before you focus on performance, before you focus on business so that you can actually be productive in what you're doing. So for me, those foundations are very, here's, here's the secret sleeping. So (laughs) making sure I'm getting eight hours of sleep and that's easier said than done. in a lot of cases with all of our distractions out there, and maybe you didn't have any time for yourself all day long and you just want to, you know, spend an extra 30 minutes, but ultimately you can ask, okay, if I spend an extra 30 minutes doing whatever it is and not going to bed, is that worth losing 30 minutes of sleep over? So sleep is a priority, making sure that I'm eating healthily. So like choosing healthy things to eat throughout the day. Um, if I can move my body exercising, which I usually do, but sometimes when you have a six month old and a two and a half year old, I'm moving my body, but I'm maybe not exercising. Um, and uh, talking to a friend in some way, shape, or form. That's that's number one. Every single day, I focus on that before I focus on anything else to make sure that I'm showing up as my best self. And then on, and then from there, I say, well, going back to the consistency piece, training is the next priority. Um, and riding my bike and or running or whatever it is, making sure I'm staying consistent with that because not only does that build upon itself for fitness goals. But I need that for myself, for my mental health and for my sanity. And whether it's a high performance day training or whether it's just out going for a hike, like I absolutely need that. That's another thing that that goes into my foundation. Um, and then again, coming back to what like the podcast is something that I am very committed to and focused on. My newsletter um, that has fallen a little bit over the summer, and I had to give myself grace with that because I was doing it every single Monday for several years. But writing is something that I love because I love exploring and learning and that pushes me and that also in turn brings value to other people. Um, Spending time with my family and being present with my kids and my husband as much as I can. Um, And then honestly, like just trying to stay on top of email. I pride myself on being able to respond to people and not leaving people hanging because I know what it feels like to either be ghosted or be forgotten about. And I never want to make somebody else feel that way. What is the secret? How often are you checking? What's your email (laughs) process? (laughs) Um, it varies throughout the day, but if I have like a 10 minute block, I check my email. So I probably check my email. Gosh, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, probably like 10 to 15 times a day. Um, that doesn't mean I'm reading them all, but I'm, I'm checking to make sure that there's nothing important in there. And then I just respond within 24 hours to people. If it's like, especially if it's an important email and I make sure that I say no to people that are asking me for things instead of just not responding at all, because I would rather have some, I've been in the, the other side of things many times it's better to get a no than a no response. So I really try. Um, and sometimes that means in the evening I'm doing email, but you know what, if you can't get to all those emails and it's like cutting into your well-being, like then maybe you got to let that go a little bit. <laughs> hmm. How do you deal with, and this is maybe a weird question, but I I've been thinking about it this morning. How do you deal with like, when you know you have like a bomb sitting in your inbox, like, you know, it's an email that you don't want to open and you don't want to deal with. How do you deal with those? Uh, well, it depends on your personality type, right? Like I'm the person I would rather just rip off the bandaid and address it immediately. Otherwise it takes up mental energy and creates anxiety for me knowing that that's sitting there. Um, or if you're not somebody that needs to rip off the bandaid, like put it in your calendar schedule, like the time you think that email is going to take or the task that that person's asking you, maybe it's an hour or longer schedule that in your calendar. That way you've already had that time allocated. And then you don't have to think, well, I'm going to read this email. And then I'm going to have to stew over like when I'm actually going to like take the time to do the thing. Or maybe you need to say no to that person if you can say no. Like sometimes you don't have that luxury to say no. So um, for me, the procrastination leads to anxiety. So I try and get that done as quickly as I can. That way I don't have to worry about it and waste energy. Free content. This is something, you know, you've mentioned the podcast, you've mentioned the newsletter. This is one of those really interesting things where it's obviously kind of necessary to what it is that, I mean, either of us do, um, but it also takes up a ton of time and it's time that could be spent on things that actually like do move the needle like dollar wise. So what makes it important enough like that you do keep putting out these podcasts that you have been so consistent until very recently with your newsletter? And by the way, your newsletter was like 
a book. Like, it's not like you wrote, you know, a couple paragraphs. Your newsletters are extremely well thought out. Like, there's a lot in each one. So that's a lot of time. Well, coming from an, you're, you're an author of multiple books and a writer, that's like a huge compliment. So thanks. <laughs> um, so sorry, what was the question? Why put out so much uh, free content? This is something that I've wrestled with because I have said, well, I could be publishing in like a magazine or somewhere else instead of writing my own free content that goes out in a newsletter. And I've really wrestled with that. But ultimately, um, well, you have to have like a minimum income that you're comfortable with. So I'm making sure that I'm meeting that minimum income that I'm comfortable with and hopefully more than that. And that's then, I, and from then I, there, I can make these types of decisions. But basically I ask myself, what is my ultimate goal? And my ultimate goal with this is to help as many people as I can. So I, of course I would love to get paid for my podcast. I'd love to get paid for my newsletter. Um, and maybe someday there'll be some sort of opportunity that will allow that. But it might it might be um, making it so that I can't feel good about the work that I'm doing. The meaning and purpose is helping people. So it makes it me feel good whenever I can provide free content to people or even um, I'll take some some types of content and make like cheap ebooks that people can buy. like they're they're well thought out and well done, but they're very full affordable. They're like five bucks um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that it's out there for people. But I think initially, whenever you're first starting in the business, you do need to have free content out there. Absolutely. Because that's how you build your name and you build your brand. And it takes time for that to compound into um, charging for those things. So yeah. And like the the business of podcasting, a lot of people like you could have like a membership program or a Patreon or sell podcast ads or have like, you know, additional things that you can offer with your podcast. If that's a way that you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can sell um, like brand partnerships where people can get like a, a newsletter spotlight. And I've done that from time to time. So there are ways to monetize free content, but ultimately if you have other things that you're selling by providing a service to people for free, where you can gain credibility and also provide value to them, they're going to want to support you in those other things that you're doing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's maybe a mistake. A lot of like newer people in like the coaching sphere make is, you know, kind of assuming that like they can just boom, go right into charging people without kind of setting up that whole, like, here's what I do. Here's what I'm about. Here's how you can kind of get to know about me and what my values are and what value I can bring to you. Um, And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a podcast. Like there are plenty of people who crush it with Instagram. Like there are so many dietitians out there now that are like doing so well on Instagram with like great infographics and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is like, it's not like you magically just boom, start making money as a health coach. Uh, you kind of had had to build build the funnel, right? Yeah, with the health coaching, like to shine a spotlight on those interested in becoming a coach. The the free content is almost something that is like an ad, a free add-on to coaching. Because like I mentioned, coaching, I'm really going to tell you what to do as a coach. I'm going to help guide you. So having my podcast or having articles that I've written, that is me telling you what to do essentially. So that's like an additional thing where you, you people look at you as an expert or I, people, I really care about what this person is saying, but those types of things, I'm not going to give you that in coaching. That's going to be a different experience. So, um, or it's like somebody who's interested in maybe getting like a cycling coach. Like you can read about physiology. You can read about coaching all day long. You can listen to it, but putting it into practice is where the art of coaching comes comes in. So coaching is an art. It's not this like formula. There is a formulaic piece to it where you have to learn how things work, but then there's an art piece. So that's where like that paid, that paid part comes in where that's what people are paying you for. The internet has a, a infinity free information that you can get about any single topic. You can become an expert yourself in any single topic, but having a coach as a guide and somebody that you relate with, and that can really help get you to ask or answer questions that you might not want to ask yourself. That's where the magic is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So the coaching and then like podcasting and everything else you're doing, what's really interesting to me about this is there's a lot of like these big projects. Like I know for you, every time you have a guest on, you're doing research on it. Uh, when you've made these online courses, it's a ton of time that goes into just this one course. Um, and then on the flip side though, you're coaching and that's kind of more of this like day to day sort of always evolving kind of like stuff is always coming up and stuff is 
you know, on the calendar for like the next day, the next day and the next day. How do you keep track of all of the big projects while also then doing these more rolling tasks? Like coaching is just rolling. It's never like, boom, you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like unlike an online course where you're like, unpublish and it's out. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, making sure you're not taking on too much is really important because like it's easy to take. There was one point where I had um, too many coaching clients and I was overwhelmed so I realized like I need to put more of a, a limit, like a smaller limit on this so that I can be my best and provide the best to everybody around me. But nothing ever has an endpoint. Even like a big project doesn't have an endpoint because well, it that's like that's like one um data point on a map, right? Like so not getting fixated on having endpoints on things so that you don't get overwhelmed, I think is helpful. It's the same with training. It's like if you're training for an event or um, you know, you have a fitness goal. We don't want you to just say, I'm going to train for a marathon, run a marathon, and then just never run again. Like the it's, it's an identity piece. So I think thinking about that identity piece helps me manage the, the rolling day-to-day things. And then just making sure that I'm not over committing myself so that there are too many rolling day-to-day things that are impacting the bigger projects. Have you found there's like a certain time of day? Do you do like time batching or like chunk your work where you're doing writing in the morning and then coaching stuff in the afternoon? Or does it sort of just go with whenever stuff can get scheduled in depending on, you know, childcare and life and all that stuff? Yeah, I'd love to say that I time batch and that seems like a a really great um, way to do things, but I don't have that luxury with my schedule right now. Um, so I would say more, it's like project batching. So there'll be like times where I'm intensely recording lots and lots of podcasts where I'm not recording like one a week and releasing one a week. I'll record like five in a week and then I'm good for the next, you know, five weeks for my podcast. And I might not record another podcast for another like three or four weeks. So it's, it's tending Mm -hmm. to batch projects instead of batching time. Um, because I don't have, like, I don't work right now. I'm not working eight hours a day because I want to make sure that I'm spending time with my babies before they go off to school. And actually, that was one of the questions I did want to ask is making time for family, especially as a freelancer. It's not like you get paid mat leave. Um, You're just figuring it out. So you kind of I think I imagine there's probably a weird push and pull with it where you don't want to stop doing stuff necessarily because, you know, if you stop the podcast for like three months, that's going to be an issue. So how did you, how did you set up for Matt leave? How did you handle Matt leave? What, would you do anything differently? Did you do anything differently with the, uh, from one to two? Um, Sorry, that was a lot of questions. No, no I, I like it. Um, So I wouldn't say that I did anything differently, but my mindset might've been a bit different. So for the things that I mentioned about consistency, where that's important, like the podcast, I recorded for both kids three months worth of podcasts um, so that I could plan for the baby. Like, so the baby came, I don't have to do any, I don't have to touch my podcast. I've hired, I have an assistant that I paid that helps me with my podcast. So she uploads it every single week, um, creates some of the digital assets for me so that I don't have to do it. Um, So I did that for both kids as I planned three months ahead for the podcast. So I could take a podcast maternity leave for training. Um, I mean, everybody that's in a whole other podcast, like how to train and race and, you know, or if you're not a, you know, a competitive athlete, like how do I stay athlete? How do I stay fit whenever I'm pregnant? And, and so I managed to continue that doing that consistently all the way through. Um, and then just being able to adjust my expectations. And that was the hardest part. And that's what I learned from my first kid is I went from overworking and honestly, like burning out repeatedly because of my drive and not having the boundaries in place that I needed with that to asking myself this question, what, what am I doing this all for? Like, what is the speed for? Like, is, is, is achieving more gold stars or having more clients or having more downloads or more likes on Instagram? Like that's sort of a hungry ghost. And and if hungry ghost is from Buddhism, but it's this ghost with a really long neck and a really bloated belly. And no matter how much that ghost eats, it never feels full. And that's how we feel with our accomplishments in life. A lot of us do. We like keep going for that thing because we think we're going to feel a certain way whenever we get it. And then we get it and then we just need more. So just reminding myself of that on a, it takes me reminding myself literally on a daily basis, because there are so many opportunities, so many things I want to do. And I mentioned that drive, but saying, what is truly important here? And, and there's a, um, there's a balance, right? There's, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be with my kids 24 hours a day. And I, so I don't miss a second because I am not my best self if I don't, if I'm doing that and I don't like to do that. Um, but just figuring out what is, what rate of achievement do I need to feel good about myself? 
And that, that rate of achievement has slowed down for me. But honestly, before I had kids, I was, it was unhealthy how, how much I was trying to achieve. And it was, you know, trying to fill a void, trying to say, you know, I'm, I'm more worthy if I'm achieving more, like there's lots of things that I've had to work through, but that's been the biggest lesson that having kids has taught me. And that's how I've, I decided that, you know, having working six hours a day is the right amount for me. And it's a luxury too, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned having an assistant for the podcast stuff. What, at what point did you decide you needed one? And now I'm just like curious, was it before you could afford one or was it like, well, after you could, I'm always like curious when it is people start like getting help and possibly because I'm really bad at getting help for things. Uh, for me, it was before I could really afford it. Um, for podcast editing, I hired an editor from episode one and I know we keep talking about podcasts. There's a lot of different things I do in my business, but that's like a really easy example. So um, episode one. And like, I asked what's the bottleneck with a lot of these things, or what are the things that are taking up my time so that I can be you know, productive in other areas. And if I'm doing things that are taking up my creative energy, where I could be growing something somewhere else and potentially turning that into a revenue stream, um, that becomes a good investment. So yeah, I think it's important to hire people to help you. Um, it's hard to hire the right people. I've had, I had an assistant and, and I've had to hire like different people. Oh, I've only had two, I guess, but it's hard to hire the right people and, um, making that investment, especially when you knew, you know, well, I could just do that myself and it's quicker if I just do it. But like, there's, there's some really great, uh, business books out there, but creating roles within your company, even if you're just a one person company so that it can grow into that, I think is something that can be really helpful. Okay. Where did you look for assistance? Like where did you find yours? Uh, so first, um, I found my podcast editor on Upwork, like Upwork. And I, I don't know if Fiverr is still a thing. Um, I think so, but uh, yeah, I found people through there. I've, uh, let's see, I found my first assistant. She helps with my assistants have helped me with other things in my business too. They helped me with, um, there's a big podcast portion of that, but they also have helped me with Moxie and Grit, which is my apparel brand. They've helped me with some um, like repurposing of, repurposing of content or just turning stuff into, you know, um, like some of the eBooks I've made, like t- taking a podcast transcription and helping turn that into an eBook, like things like that. Um, word of mouth, like sending out in my newsletter, like, hey, I'm looking to, re- to for an assistant for this many hours a week to do these different roles, asking around. Um, Facebook, uh, like, I feel like Facebook marketplace and Facebook groups is a really great place to, to find people. Um, it, it's hard though. It's, and it's scary to hand over like the password to your website or, you know, some of these things where if people mess it up, like there could be really bad repercussions. So yeah, that's, that's a whole other podcast, probably like learning to let go of control and how to delegate. <laughs> and I'm still learning. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What you just alluded to when you said, you know, you have the apparel company as well. You have the health coaching podcast, all this stuff. What do you say when someone asks, what do you do? Um, I don't really, I wish I had a good answer to that. I say I do lots of things. Primarily I'm a professional mountain biker. And then I say, I have a podcast. I'm a writer, I'm a speaker and I'm a coach. So those are pretty much the main, those are the big rocks in the bucket. (laughs) Yeah. I always say I I've started just shifting mine to like whatever makes sense for the person I'm talking to, like for, you know, a lot of people just saying writer is enough and like, they don't really care. Um, but then, you know, there, there's some people where you go a little more in depth there for some people I'm like playing up different aspects. So I guess it just kind of depends contextually who you're talking to. Right. Um, okay. What apps are you using to keep all of your stuff organized, sorted out? Like, Give me everything. What's what's open on the computer right now? Um, I use, let's see, it's good question. It's, it's dabs are open. I use uh Dropbox for um sharing and storing certain files. Like if you have a team, like what is your process for sharing information with your team so that they can access it? So Dropbox is something that I use. I use Airtable uh to manage um data, it's like database management. So you can have it. I'm definitely not using the full scope by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a very powerful tool. Um, for managing projects. Uh, Asana is another good one that a lot of people tend to use. Um, I've used Trello before for like managing lists, but honestly, like I keep it pretty simple. I, I use Airtable. I use Dropbox. Um, I use notes on my computer because I use Apple devices so I can open notes on my phone or on my computer. And I have different notes for different things with like lists and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think what else for, 
for notes, I, I, I tend to keep everything on the cloud. So like notes about clients, I keep that on, in a private, you know, uh, secure place on the cloud. I'm trying to think what else for sponsorship stuff. I keep spreadsheets um, that I, you know, meet and, and also like when was the last person I was in contact? When was the last time I was in contact with this person or when do I need to follow up? I use SaneBox on my um, email, which I highly, highly recommend. It creates email filters for you so that like new, like things get filtered out way better than like Gmail filter stuff. Um, And then you can train contacts. So like if it, if it, getting email if you're getting emails from like this person or this thing that you want in a separate folder you can do that so that helps keep my email box my inbox clear so that i know what's a priority in my inbox and then with and this is a huge thing about sanebox is that you can um you can remind it to tell you when to follow up with somebody or you can even like take if you use your email as like your to-do list you could even like snooze an email so that that email pops back in your inbox in like five days but what I found with snoozing emails is it'll pop up in five days and then I'll like procrastinate it again, which doesn't feel good. So I try and not snooze emails, but the follow-up piece has been really helpful because there'll be somebody that's like, oh, I'm all booked up. Can you reach back out in a week? And I use my Google calendar a lot and reminders on my phone too. So I guess I use lots of things. Yeah. I was going to say, what is like the daily to-do list look like? It sounds like calendar and reminders combination there. Yeah. My calendar for sure. That's like where I uh, time block. Oh, I use Calendly for scheduling too. Um, so good. My to do, my to do list is on my notes app on my phone. And the biggest challenge with that is not making sure that there's more things than I can tackle. And honestly, I always have too many things on there. So having like a priority to do list and then like a general to do list, um, are helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've really given up on the idea that I'm ever going to like <laughs> nail exactly how many tasks I can do in a day. It's just, it's never going to work. So I know I'm always going to have some overflow to the next day and it's fine. I just, I don't, I don't understand people that actually like know exactly what they can accomplish in, you know, the day. Yeah. And, and also like leaving room for creativity and space, because if you're scheduled every single second of the day, and this is something I've had to learn the hard way, uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room for, for you to be creative or for you to even like do anything else. And sometimes you need that space because there's other little things that come up that you need to address. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, I've actually found, I, I put deadlines a couple days earlier in my calendar. Like if something's due on the 15th, I'll actually schedule it for like the 12th. That way I kind of like have a couple extra days as just in case I need to space it out a little more. I have that uh, skew time, if you will. <laughs> do you still, but if you know that the deadline's actually like on the 15th, do you like, does that 12th date help? Or do you like still know in your head, like, Oh, it's on the 15th. So whatever. I think it actually does help because if I have time on, like, assuming I have time on the 12th, I'll get it done. Mm-hmm. But I, like, I'm very, I will never miss a deadline for someone. Like I'm very oriented to that. So I know, okay, this isn't like, drop dead have to stay up till 11 p.m because i'm very much like and i wanted to ask you about this like at some point you need to have a hard stop because with jobs like ours where there's so many balls in the air at all times it would be so easy to just work all day every day all night every night and still not be done with the task list anyway so how do you how do you decide like when it is time to turn off for the evening do you have like any closing down rituals or how do you how do you handle that Oh, I've been there, the working 12 hours a day. Uh, First of all, I tell myself, this is not healthy. Like this hustle culture thing, like this is not healthy. And then I go back to the science of rest. And there's two great books I recommend, Peak Performance by Brad Solberg and Steve Magnus, which is an older book, but it's all about how like peak performance has to include resting. Um, And then this book that I I just interviewed the author of, it's called Rest and it's by Alex Sujung Kim Peng. And it's all about how like rest going through like people in history who are very, very successful in all different realms and how much they actually were working versus how much we think they were working. So reminding myself of that so that I don't work around the clock saying I need to, I need the downtime so that I can be more productive and working more hours and doing more tasks every single day will not make me more productive or better. Um, having kids has been really helpful for that because so I I'm done at five 30 cause Bradley eats dinner at five 30. So I'm done at five 30. And then it's like the ritual of getting the, the kids to bed and then it's like seven, seven thirty after the kids are in bed and I choose not to work. If, if, if I have to work, there's an odd time where I've done that, but I don't schedule myself working after, um, the kids are in bed because that is the only quality time that I get with my partner. 
and it's very limited. So I won't work then. So having kids has actually created boundaries for me. Um, and it's helped me say, what is my priority again? And relationships, my family is a priority. Um, so yeah, five, five thirty stop time for me. And in the past, I would say that it was 7 PM stop time, uh, before I had kids. So yeah, just, I, th- I think spending time, if you have a partner, um, spending time with your partner and if you don't have a partner, just spending time, like not working is really important. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned actually friendships earlier on in this episode. And that's, I think you and I both have set that goal in the last couple of years to be better at connecting because when your work is sort of doing these connections, whether it's with coaching clients or with podcast guests, I think it's really easy to then just like turn off, turn inward and just be, you know, completely turtled uh, the rest of your day versus making time for for those friendships. And it's, it's hard to, we've talked about this, make female friends as adults. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm sure a lot of people who, you know, work pretty busy jobs and stuff are listening to this like, yeah, that is true. Um, and I know you've put some effort into it lately. Any tips for for making friends or rekindling those friendships? Uh, yes. Um, well, something that we did, which I don't necessarily recommend, is we moved to another town because I was finding that where we were, where we were living, it was really hard. Like none of us had in our family had uh, deep relationships with people. So, what kind of friendships do you want in your life? Do you want? Are you good with acquaintances and and lots of acquaintances and like and that 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 makes you feel good or. Like for me, I need to, ha- I don't need to have a ton of like really deep relationships, but I need to have a couple people in person that are like local because I have tons of friends around the world, but people that I can like see in person and spend time with. So yeah, like being part of a community, whether it's like changing the area of your town that you're in and spending time in a different area, if you're having trouble meeting friends through friends, signing up for new activities, trying to figure out what you want out of a friendship inviting somebody to go do something with you and telling them that like, Hey, like, I'd love to get to know you better. Like it's vulnerable to say that to somebody basically saying, Hey, I want to be your friend. Cause they could reject you. And I actually remember you recently did a podcast episode where you were talking about that. And I think the guy we were speaking with, and I'm blanking on who it was, but he was actually like, that's like a terrifying thing to hear from someone. But as I was listening to you talk about it, I was like, actually, I would love that. I think that actually is how we became friends, to be totally honest. Yeah, it was Mark Bowden and it was about body language and like reading people. But I literally don't walk up to a stranger and say, hey, want to be my friend? Like he took that a little bit too literally. But if I find somebody that I am interested in, like a person that I want to be their friend, like I'll like, you know, fill it out. And then, yeah, I've, I've actually been very like, blunt with people like, Hey, I'd really love to be your friend. <laughs> yeah. Like little kids do it. Why can't we as adults? Yeah. I beat around the bush. <laughs> I do think that's actually how we became friends a few years ago. We were both like, Hey, do you want to like, we, we seem to have a lot in common. We should like be friends. Let's, like, right? hang out. Let's chat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. So here we are. Yeah. Um, okay. You, uh, you've you also gotten back into training and racing, which I imagine helps the community. I know you've been doing, you know, you've been able to see a lot of people and reconnect with a lot of people this summer uh, back to racing. Uh, I mean, how has that been getting back into training or getting back into racing in particular, especially as I'm just thinking about this part of your job is, mm-hmm. you know, your professional racer. Um, how do you handle the pressure where like you're expected to perform to some extent, but also you're expected to do all of these other things and have kids and maintain a good relationship. Like it's a lot. Yeah, that is actually a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, what my sponsors, like they don't say you have to go and win the race. I'd say the expectations are coming from me. So yeah, it was interesting because I had to take about three years off of racing between pregnancies and pandemics. And like, that was a long time. But through that whole process, I maintained my identity by, like you said, I was still training. Um, I was still training six days a week most of the time through that entire thing. So lining up for my first start line was exciting. Like it was a celebration of all the hard work I had done. And in fact, I, I didn't actually post it or I probably should, but I recorded a video of me just talking to my camera because going for the the, the pre-ride before my first race, I got like really emotional while driving and it like really surprised me. And like, I started like getting like choked up, like, oh my God, like I'm here. I'm finally like, I've been in the, in the trenches for three years by myself, you know, going through pregnancies, going through sponsors, dropping me, going through all of these things. And now I'm here, like, this is awesome. So like, whatever the result is, was actually not really on my mind. It was just, I was just, 
it was gratitude first. Like I'm grateful to be here. But then my next racer is, you know, well, I, I want to perform and I, and I did perform at my first race back. I got third place at a hundred mile mountain bike race. Um, but it's like setting that goal. What, like before you get to the race, like, what is my goal here? And a lot of times people will have outcome based goals, which is actually out of your control. So, you know, my goal is to show up and do my best, or my goal is to work on cornering, which I've been working on a lot and seen lots of improvement. Um, so setting those types of goals, uh, has been helpful for me getting back into racing, but ultimately it's like, I feel, I feel so happy to be a part of a community again, whether I'm winning the race, whether I'm not winning the race, like just being there is the reward. And a thing that I say all the time is the work is the reward and the rest is part of the work, but, but getting to do the training, getting to be there is all an opportunity. And that in and of itself is the reward. I love it. So good. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. I personally like feel like there is this pressure to be in a certain shape when you're in this industry and be at like a certain training level and a certain racing level. And it's, it's stressful. And actually what I realized last week when I had a terrible race was that, uh, as it turns out, uh, no one really cares if I'm winning or not. So that was, uh, that was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. I think we've all been there. And, um, what I do is I think about like in that moment, if it feels intense and it's not going well, whatever that goal is, is like, I remind myself, I think of the world and then the universe. And I think this is the smallest little blip on the radar in the universe. And it's it's very temporary. And I'm the one that cares the most, like nobody else cares. And if somebody does care, they're probably not going to care for very long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're, it's out of their mind in like 10 seconds. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually like more, more nervous that my, my husband slash crew uh, was going to be like disappointed. And he's just like, I mean, I get to go to sleep if you drop out of this race, like this is fine. Yeah. Everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. And like, hopefully the people in your crew love you no matter what they don't, they're, they don't conditionally love you based on performing and they're there because they want to support you, not because they expect you to win. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, because we could talk obviously all day about so many different things. Um, what would your best tips for women who are trying to get into, I'm just going to say the fitness industry at large right now be, because you're in so many different facets of it. Um, should people, you know, should women be trying to connect with other women in real life? Should they be on LinkedIn more on social? Um, you know, should they be negotiate? Like what, what are, what are some tips here? Yeah. I'd also, say I guess actually, for you, sorry, I'm going to like add one to this, uh, because you do so many things. Uh, if you were just starting out again, would you be trying to like be in all of these places and doing like experimenting with all the different things? Or would you be trying to like hone in on one thing? So I think both of those pathways could potentially. Yeah. For me, I didn't start trying to be everywhere and do everything. I started as a writer. Um, so, I mean, I started as a professional athlete, but ultimately it all started with my blog back in like 2007 and then grew into me writing for publications. So that's what I like doing. So I focused on that and that's, so figure out what medium you like. Like if you're you, the listener, like if you really like YouTube, maybe you start a YouTube channel. If you were like, I like podcasts. That's why I started a podcast. Um, I don't do YouTube because I don't, I don't really like YouTube. I'm not somebody that's going to sit there and watch videos. And there's a lot of pressure to do YouTube, you know, an internal pressure, I guess. So like figure out what is that you like and then do that. And then don't worry about doing everything because there's going to always going to be lots of opportunities. There's going to always be um, room to do, to spread yourself as thin as you want. So pick one or two things that you like and start with those things and then give yourself the flexibility to either pivot or to add on to those things. Mm -hmm. And for someone who has like maybe a normal job and wants to maybe it's, you know, dabble in coaching, start a podcast, do any of those things. What's your, what's your feeling on when do you go all in on it or does it depend on the person? Should you be trying it on the side? What do you think? I started trying it on the side because, um, I financially just couldn't do it. Just all of a sudden just go all in. So dip your toe in the water. That's my advice. See how it goes. Keep it as a side project. And then if it becomes more and more this thing and you start seeing opportunity there, there will be a, a jumping off point And that point will be different for everybody and everybody's family and everybody's financial situation. Um, but you'll know when that is, you'll know, like you'll start mm -hmm. feeling that feeling of like, Oh, I, I really want to make this a thing. And I, I think I can do it. And that's when you do it. Um, but if you are somebody, maybe you do have the support from maybe somebody's going to support you. If you, if they know like, well, maybe you're not going to make an income from this for a year, but you have somebody to support you to do that and build the thing. Well, that's cool too. 
Okay. Where can everyone find you, listen to you, stalk you on Instagram, et cetera? What are all the places? Yeah. My website's the best place for like, it's, there's lots of stuff on there. Go to sanyalooney.com. Sanyalooney.com slash newsletter is my newsletter. And there you can easily get my podcast. And um, my website has all my social media handles and everything there. And I'd love to connect with you and reach out to me if you have any questions or if you heard something where you're like, I'd like to ask her, you know, this about what I'm trying to do. Like I, I love, I love hearing from everybody. Perfect. And we'll include all those links in the show notes, including links to the couple episodes of yours that we talked about here, like Mark Bowden's and uh, a couple of the others. So thank you so much, Sonia. This was as always so much fun catching up with you and yeah, so excited about all of your different projects and fun stuff going on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Molly. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Sonia Looney, even half as much as I did. It's always one of my favorite things in the world to get to chat with Sonia about all of these nerdy things, whether we're talking about the apps that we're using or the more esoteric uh, elements like balance uh, and you know trying to trying to make it all work in a 24-hour period. Uh, so from from this, I've learned just so much about the importance of being flexible and kind of willing to lean into your interests, to go with the flow where where your interests are taking you, but also the going with the flow in terms of where your life is taking you. You know, Sonia talked a lot about difficulties with finding childcare during the pandemic and how that's impacted her business and what she's able to do in terms of work and training. And instead of, you know, just kind of feeling down about all of it, she's really just managed to make it work you know, one day at a time. And I really, really admire her for that. Uh, And I think she has just some great advice for getting into the industry now and just, you know, being able to put up value to your audience, even if you're not necessarily getting paid for it. It's something that she and I definitely have in common. We've both been doing that for years and years and years. Uh, It never really ends, obviously. Uh, But, you know, the, the more you can do stuff like that as kind of your side hustle now, the better equipped you're going to be to monetize it down the road. So I will leave you with that. And of course, definitely find to find out more about her over on sonyalooney.com. Check out her podcast, her courses, everything she's up to. And of course, as we mentioned before, check out the Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit over at outspokensummit.com. All right. Have a great week and we'll see you next Thursday. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. 
As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there.